You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 223, Jamie Rowe and Finding His True Home. I hope you're ready to rock. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. Of course, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, would love if you haven't gone out to halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can get show notes, everything we talk about, including what we talk about today. There's links to it there, and you can see all the past guests. We've got uh, well over 200 episodes at this point, which I believe is probably six to seven years of six to seven thousand years of experience walking with the Lord. It's uh, it's really is a cool place to to get some uh, get some information and see what what others. Uh, how they experience God. So that's great. I can't wait for this conversation. Um, this is one I've, one I've been looking forward to for a long time. Definitely uh, one of the voices on the soundtrack of my life is our guest today. Uh, he's a recording artist. He's probably best known as the lead singer of Guardian. His new release is This Is Home, which I've been listening to. I love it. Jamie Rowe is our guest. Jamie, welcome to Halfway There. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. So it's been it's been a while. We tried this a few times. Here yeah. we are. Well, that's okay. I, I love <laughs> it's it. It's all been my fault. Well, that's okay. I totally understand. And uh, I'm sure you're busy. You you have a real job and you you are yeah. deep involved. And so I appreciate you spending a little bit of time with me. It is really cool. Um, it's not an exaggeration to say that uh, you are on the soundtrack of my life. I remember listening to all kinds of Guardian uh records all of them probably running around in my little uh 19 i don't know something chevy <laughs> chevy car listening to buzz or one of all, all those uh and miracle mile so i love it the first time i wanted to tell you the story and the first time i ever saw you was 1993 okay. in uh wilmar minnesota the sunshine Ooh, festival uh-huh. You were on stage. We we got there. We kind of were setting up, picking picking a tent, and there was this wasn't the main stage. It was kind of a side stage, mm-hmm. and it was like the heavier stage, right? And yeah. you guys were playing. You were up there, and I all I heard was I heard your voice, and I heard the guitars. Because I'm a guitar guy, and I was like, "That's cool. I have to go over there right now." Yeah. And you had your long red hair, you know, and you were running around in the uh, whatever. What did you guys used to do? Like the uh, yeah, give me, give me two, or give me, give me, give me you a number. Long. Yeah, yeah, right. like that. Hey, boom, yeah. yeah. I was oh, so into give that. Me two, boom, give me four hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. So that's the first time I saw you. So it really is like this goes way back for me. It's really great to to meet you. Oh, so that's very cool. Th- thanks for uh, for being here. What? Tell us kind of where you are now, and we'll go back. I want to hear all your story. Well, let me back up. You said we're talking about this playing Sunshine Festival in '93. Uh, up until Gosh, from about 90 to 95, when Guardian would play the festivals, it was always, you know, very CCME. Like they would have like Stephen Curtis Chapman on yeah. the main stage, Michael W. Petra. And then they had a rock stage off to the side. Yeah. We would play Bride. And, it, and we got to a point where we realized that all these festivals, like they were, the, they were more mainstream. They had their token rock band, which was Guardian, and their token alternative band, which was Prayer Chain. And it seemed like <laughs> every single festival was like all these like, like glossed over CCM artists 
and then guarding the prayer chain on the side stage. Oh man. Uh, right. But it was always cool. It was, it was really cool. And then, you know, it's funny after a while we ended up being on the side stage or on the main stages. I'm sure the next generation on the side stage. So, but I, I actually have really good memories of all that stuff. And I remember sunshine festival quite a bit, but yeah. Um, so I got sidetracked. You asked me what? what well, <laughs> I so I asked you, tell us about kind of where you are right now. Man, right now. Well, I'll, I'll tell you like, like this very day, like this morning, it's a, uh, September, it's nice and cool for a change. It's like 70 degrees outside as opposed to 100. Uh, I'm sitting in my home in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, I've been married to Amber now for four years. And uh, we've been together for, actually next week, we'll be together five years together. Uh, I just took my daughter and grandsport. And I'm, I'm basically in dad mode right now. But, um, you know, I, I don't do full music full time. I haven't for a long time. I work for a company called True Tone. We build the uh, one, actually... Your audio listeners can't see it, but we make these pedals. Oh, nice. Those are cool. The Route 66 True Tone. Oh, we make man. a one-spot power supply, which almost every guitar player uses. And uh, it's I've been there for eight years, and I absolutely love it. It's, I still get to be around music all the time. I get to flex my creative muscle, being a multimedia director. That's really it. But basically, I, just, I live a fairly ordinary, non-rock and roll lifestyle, and it's, life is better than ever. That's fantastic. Really yes. Yeah. I got to, I got to pick up some of those. I don't play my electric guitar as much anymore. I have a, I have a, um, a Gibson hummingbird, like from the seventies. Oh, wow, yeah. That's a nice, yeah. a nice guitar built in Kalamazoo. They don't even make them anymore there. So, uh, I play that most of the time these days, but awesome. I love that. But yeah, true tone is, is really cool. They got some great pedals. So, yes. uh, very cool, man. So, uh, okay. So I want to go back and kind of just hear some of your story and we'll kind of go through it and, and we'll get back up to, up to where you are today. So, um, are you from, you're in Tennessee now. Are you from Tennessee or where'd you grow up? No, no, I, I grew up in Southern Indiana, Southwestern Indiana, okay. specifically the Evansville area, Indiana area. I grew up there and I, I left in 1989. It's funny. I grew up in Indiana and it's never felt like it fit. Like mm. I just never felt like this is like, this is, and it never felt like home. And I always had these great, you know, big teenage dreams of like, you know, Los Angeles. I was so enthralled with the whole hard rock scene in Los Angeles. I always felt like that's where I belonged and everything. And I really disliked winter. And I remember in 1989 standing in my yard saying, this is the last winter I'm spending in Indiana. And the very next winter I was in Southern California and I was singing for Guardian. Wow. So that was that. So I, I grew up in Indiana at 19, uh, at 20, right. When I just turned 20, I auditioned for Guardian. I joined Guardian, lived in Southern California for three years. Then moved back to Nashville here and lived in Nashville uh, until 1997. And then my wife at the time, ex-wife, we were divorced a few years ago, but we were having our first child and I was traveling so much with Guardian and I'm only two and a half hours away from where I grew up. And that's where she grew up as well. And one little run out with Guardian, I went out, she went up there and she found a house she liked. (laughs) She said, hey, she goes, you're on the road all the time. Anyway, it'd be great to have parents around here for the kids. it's really affordable. It's basically we can own a home for what we're paying to rent an apartment. And I was like, I remember telling her like, okay, if you want to do it, you're going to have to handle it. Cause I'm you know, busy with guardian right now. I, I can't spend time. And literally like, like seven days later, we signed the papers. Wow. I really didn't think it was going to happen. That fast. So I, I ended up living in Indiana for seven. Uh, uh, yeah. For almost 17 years after that from 1997 till uh, 2014. Gotcha. Okay. So, and now I'm in Columbia, Tennessee. Gotcha. Well, so Indiana, Southern Indiana is like, it's not, I don't know if it is the Bible belt, but it's sort of close to the Bible belt. Right. So is it? Oh yeah. No, it definitely is. It's, it's definitely, 
there's a lot of, you know, people have a head knowledge of, of Christianity, whether mm-hmm. they are involved in not or anything like that. So it's like, like the hell yeah, I'm a Christian, that vibe. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That's that you have a lot of people like that, but uh, you know, and I, like I said, in my case, I grew up in church and the reason I grew up in church was because uh, I had an older brother who's having trouble in the public school system. And my parents wanted a different thing. And the, the only like other school there was, was this Christian school. And so they went and met there and ended up enrolling him. Then I wasn't having any trouble in school, but I went to the, the school that day when he was, I thought, Oh, this is actually pretty cool. So I asked if I could go too. Yeah. And so because of that now we were not a Christian family at that point, but we went, but I wanted to go hang out with some of my new school friends one night and they were, they were going to be at church. And uh, so I talked my mom into taking me to the church service so I could hang out with my friends. And she ended up going to church service and she ended up accepting Jesus that night. Wow. And I remember I was mad. I was like, you know, 12 years old, like we're not going to have any fun now. I was like mad, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, like I said, I'm giving you a lot of information, but That's great. in that whole in that whole church environment and growing up there from you know a, a eighth grade till junior in high school, I heard a lot about Jesus. I can't say I saw a lot about Jesus. And I literally had one of those moments when I was 17 where I was like, you know what? I really felt we were in a chapel service and I really felt like God speaking in my heart. Like, and I didn't hear this audibly, but it felt like God was saying, Okay, I know all these people have hurt you or they've not done good. What have I done to you? And wow. I really felt like God was like calling me out. Like, okay, okay. You, you seem to have this problem with my people. What's your problem with me? I had none. And so that was the night I gave my life to Jesus at, at 17 years old. I've been here ever since. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing how he does that. Right. Like he's, he's yeah. uh he'll, he'll speak into your, into your life. So had you ever heard from God before or was that just like a, no, no, that was, that was a pretty much, that was a pretty much black and white. Like, boom, that was my moment where I felt like, okay, God is speaking to deal with my heart. Everything I've been, I, I, I could have given you every excuse. Oh, they're hypocrites. They're heavy. And they were, you know, and so was I, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's just, you know, it's just, but you know, it's, it's a lot. And I still think in 2020, I still think most people wrestle with serving God and stuff, ultimately it becomes a, they don't want to put God on the throne because it takes them off the throne. And I think I was in that, that place in 1987. And I think that's the main issue with people today. People mm-hmm. want to serve Christ. You know, that's why I think in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really the story of humanity is, you know, God just says he wants to be with us and be the, uh, be the, the one who's, who's in charge. And uh, so there's an aspect of surrender to that. Uh, yeah. but also an aspect of freedom to that, that uh, most people don't get to experience. How did, how that change you or what, what happened to you after that? You know what? Um, I think what happened, the good news is about that is I had a circle of people who really were Christians. Mm-hmm. And one of which we, we had a in this city, I lived in in Oakland city, Indiana, there was a Christian college there called Oakland city university. And what's interesting is there was a guy I met there who's actually from like, 40 minutes from here where I live, Lebanon, Tennessee, he's from here, but he was going there and he became my best friend and he was a really strong, solid Christian and stuff like that. So I basically, you know, he's now a teaching pastor here in Nashville, one of the big churches Oh wow! and uh, everything. So it was, so it was really cool. So God, I'd look back now, like God orchestrated some friendships and stuff for me. But, um, you know, like I said, I had the head knowledge of Christ. So maybe externally things didn't change so much. But internally, how I viewed things and like, you know, my attitude towards God and my, and my attitude towards others had definitely changed. Mm. 
But uh, I, you know, and and this was this was a hyper charismatic environment that I grew up in, and I can't say theologically I'm there anymore. But, yeah, you know, it's like that's what God used for me. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, and that's, you know, we all start somewhere. So that's yeah, uh, exactly. that's kind of how it goes. Interesting. Did that uh, did that shape you at all, that charismatic kind of Pentecostal I think so, movement? I think so and stuff like that because I, I really, and to this day and stuff like that, I still really believe God's a lot more powerful than we, than we like, allow him to be, so to speak, mm. with our thoughts. You know what I mean? I think God can do a whole lot more. I think he's God. You know what I mean? He's not limited by such, but I'm just telling you, and, and I always said this as a joke, and it sounds like a bumper sticker, but it's true, but, you know, in the, in the word, if God used, like, a talking donkey and a burning bush, right? he can use some pretty trippy stuff. He's got some pretty interesting methods that don't really line up with, with what I would do and everything and stuff, but I still, I, I love the mystery of Christianity, the stuff that I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, at this point, I should be a pro, and I'm not, you know what I mean? And I think... uh you know, constantly learning and stuff. Just, I really have just come to the conclusion that I, I believe God is a lot more loving, graceful, merciful than Christianity allows him to be even, you know what I mean? Yeah. I really do think he loves his kids just like, you know, and having kids myself tempers that as well for me. You know what I mean? I really do think he loves his creation, man. You know, and unfortunately a lot of our creation, his creation doesn't love him back. Right. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So it sounds like you had some good people who discipled you and kind of, Absolutely. Kind of and, gar- and the guys in guardian, because you understand uh-huh. this was in 1987, I was 17. So it was like three years later, I was in guardian. Yeah. Now when I joined the band, I'm 10 years younger than everybody in guardian. So a lot of people don't know that. Stuff like that. So I had these like adult men with families who had 10 years of experience in the trenches, so to speak. And I didn't. So I had good role models and stuff in, in that band. It that, really did. That's really interesting. I was going to ask about that because that's that's this weird expectation I think that Christians sometimes put on artists, right? On on, mm-hmm. on musicians uh, that they be you know somehow more spiritually mature as yeah. almost like a leader or a pastor, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you feel that yeah. at all? I I felt that. I definitely wasn't worthy of it. You know. Yeah. You, but I felt that. I mean, Eric, anytime you stand up in front of people and, and make a proclamation, you, you should be prepared to back that up. Mm. You know what I mean, um, and, and, and I can tell you this, you know, some of the stuff in Guardian early days and stuff, standing up there and proclaiming, I 1000% believe we were really changing lives and doing work for God. So like, I never, I don't look back at that and think like, okay, we were just trying to make it as a band or something like that. You know what I mean? It really was honest and sincere communication style because the culture has changed so much. I don't know if I would have, and because things have changed, like at that point, you know, putting out Christian music and being involved in a quote unquote Christian music arena was really the only place for a band like guardian. Mm. If we were to form today and we were all young and new, I don't even know if I would be involved in Christian music. I would just be a, a believer and just, you know, play music for people and, uh, and still kind of do the same thing, but just maybe just, you know, maybe, maybe singing more of a parabolistic style as opposed to a, mm. a blatant, I don't know. This, you know, it's, I don't have a time machine, so I don't know. But, right. Uh, well, it is a different world today, isn't it? It's, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, uh, but I, I can tell you this in the Guardian days and stuff like that. Like sometimes I'll go back and look at videos of us playing and realize, I, I'll say something that almost sounds kind of silly to me now, but I tell you what, the 22 year old Jamie wrote, believe that with all his heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's great. And, you know, and I still, to this day, even, you know, your kind words at the start of the podcast, I get messages every day from people, you know, 
such and such record helped me through a rough time. This and that, or you said something to me at a concert one time yeah. after the show that really stuck with me. You know, thirty years later, that stuff blows my mind. That's that was God, man. Because yeah. as you can tell right now, just by knowing me for like five minutes, I'm not that brilliant. yeah well it it is interesting how that how that works the people that you look up to that that uh you know influence you because i will never forget it's sunshine so i i ended up you know they had like that building where you could meet people or you guys everybody had booths and i ended up in there and you guys were doing a meet and greet and uh so i had met you then i'm you know i'm sure there was a million people you met but uh there were you know the whole band was there i think and tony was like doing hugging lessons he was he was hugging oh. people uh-huh. and he was he man back then he's probably still a foot taller than me but he was he was he was way taller than me then he's yeah and uh and i was like uh i was a little reluctant but i i hugged him anyway and you know that uh-huh. that stood out to me as a thing like okay that's that's important <clears throat> now covid-19 we're not going to do that but yeah exactly it, yeah. it's uh it didn't stand out as a, as a, as a ministry. It was kind of interesting. Well, that was one thing. And see, the cool thing is, and that's another thing that was just the, the guardian chemistry was good because that was saying that wasn't a plan thing. We just always made ourselves available and we loved hanging out with people and stuff. You know what I mean? We're, 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 you know, we didn't live in Wilmar, Minnesota. Yeah. We're there that day. Let's make the best of it. You know what I mean? So, and it's, it's really cool, but you know, and uh, we just always, you know, never understood the whole, separation of, I mean, you know, even let's say this, even from a commerce perspective, you know, we were doing full-time music. That was our living. It doesn't hurt you one bit to go say thank you to the people that help you make that living. You know what I mean? So it was never forced. And I remember people used to trip out and stuff like, you know, Tony toured with Michael W. Smith. Wow. No change your world tour before Miracle Mile came out and stuff. And he'd go out after the show and meet people. I remember the guys in the band, like, you know, it's like, what are you doing out there? He's like, these are just people just want to, you know, say hello to. And, yeah. like that. and so a couple of those guys eventually started doing it too. It was just how we were wired. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. So how did you get that gig? So well, wait, first before I, that, yeah. like, when did you know you wanted to be a singer? Like how did that come about? Actually, and you then- know what? I always sing along and mostly it was because I imitated voices. My voice has changed a lot, so I can't do it so much. But when I was younger, I hear voices. I can almost like hear how they sounded. Like I could do like Paul Stanley from Kiss. I can't anymore. I can't even try it now. My <laughs> voice has changed. But I could do that and the guy from Queensryche and stuff. I always had a thing. And people used to say a joke. And I sound like Bon Jovi uh. a little bit too. But so on a class trip in 1985, we went to St. Louis to a Six Flags in Park and had one of those like, you can be a star thing. It was basically it was a karaoke booth. And I sang Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, it must have been 86, 85 or 86, One of Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi and Smoking in the Boys Room by Motley Crue. And everybody on that trip like got the cassette and made copies of it and they were passing it around. Like, he sounds like a real singer, blah, 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 and everything. And uh, that's how I kind of knew, okay, I guess I can sing. Maybe I you know can I mean? do this. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't for years. I was always scared to sing in front of people. Even after I was in my first band and we recorded our record, I remember playing a show and being scared to sing in front of people. You know, it was just yeah. very nerve wracking for me. So. Oh, that's fascinating. Cause <laughs> it, interesting. Cause we always think, you know, the lead singer is like, they're thrilled to be up there and they're a little, you know, flashy. Oh, I, I love it now, but it was, it was hard to get there. <laughs> that's interesting. I love that. Okay. So I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I always say my, the name of the show is halfway there. Right. Which is a little hat tip to Bon Jovi. Like uh, okay. that's why I tell people it's, it's partly hat tip to Bon Jovi and partly uh, just the idea that we're on the journey and we're never going to get there. Right. 
Um, but anyway, that's uh, that's it. So that's pretty cool that you were singing singing some Bon Jovi. I love that. I'm a big fan. Um, yeah, I I still you know I still I like Bon Jovi's newer music too. A lot of people don't. So like I like how yeah. he's matured into the artist he is. I really like it. So it's interesting. He's gotten more. Um, well, it's less. It's less. It, I don't know what the word is. It's a little more folksy. Does that does that seem right? Like it's a little more. He's gonna yeah. tell you. He's still gonna tell yeah, you a story. A little more, more singer songwriter. Yes. Yeah, totally. Um, and they've got a new one coming out that I'll definitely be listening to, but, um, anyway, yeah, absolutely. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, so the, I love that. Cause this is my style. Like this is my, that's like, that's my world. That's, you know, people make fun of me for still loving the, the hairband kind of, you know, melodic rock yeah. stuff, but that's what I love. Um, so yeah, I guess. yeah. So anyway, how, how did it come about then? How'd you get connected with guardian? How'd that happen? Well, um, I was actually in another band at the time, and I remember there was this magazine called the Pen Dragon, and it was like a fanzine. I mean, back in the day, they had Heaven's yeah. Metal magazine, a few things. There were White Throne. There was a little lesser known one called the Pen Dragon. This guy, Jeff McCormick, down, I believe, in Mississippi, ran it. And I remember doing an interview with him, and he said, yeah, I just I just did an interview with the guys in Guardian. And I hadn't heard of him, but he'd say, yeah, Oz Fox from Striper is producing the record. And I was such a Striper fan. Oh, yeah. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, you'd probably connect with those guys. Here's here's Tony's phone number. And this is kind of an odd thing. He just gave me his phone number, you know, and everything. And so I remember, like, checking out the band and stuff like that and, like, really kind of digging them. Like, they kind of like a docking type of sound, which I was into at the time. And, and so one day I called him up. And I, I thought he was, like, since he was working with Striper and stuff like that, I thought they were kind of, like, rock star type people. And I remember saying, hey, man, don't hang up. I'm just a fan. I just want to say hello and everything. <laughs> and he's like, and Tony, Tony, now, that's probably the stupidest thing you ever heard. You know, like, like come on. You know, as I said, I was 17 or 17 or 18. But no, as 18 or 19, actually. And he's, you know, he's like talking about music stuff. And he was telling me about the Striper stuff. We just got to be friends. He sent me some like board tapes of them rehearsing and stuff. So we got to be friends. And um, in... December of 87, my dad passed away. And Tony, outside of my house, was the last person to talk to him because he called me uh, back and I was gone that night. I was at a, a Pizza Hut party with some people and stuff like that, like a Christmas party. And my dad answered the phone and he, he, I got home. He said, Tony, you felt recalled and everything. I was like, okay. And the next morning, my dad ended up having a heart attack and died. Oh, wow. And so I never called Tony back and he's kind of like, I remember him calling me back like later and stuff. He goes, man, I hadn't heard from you. Everything will quit. And I said, yeah, my, my dad just died. And now here's the thing. I'm young, alone. None of my friends, none of them have lost their parent. But Tony lost his mom when he was 12. So all of a sudden this guy who lived in Southern California became like a really good friend of this guy in Indiana because of a shared experience. And he was able to help me through that a little bit and stuff. You know what I mean? He wrote yeah. me some cool. I still have a letter he wrote me. I still have it in a box somewhere during that time. And uh, so we got to be friends, you know what I mean? Beyond music. And I remember whenever I heard that they were looking for a singer, I'd lost touch. And uh, guys in the band White Cross uh, had told me that, yeah, Guardian was looking for a singer. I said, really? And so I got a hold of Doug Van Pelt because I lost, you know, Tony's number, he'd moved or whatever. And uh, he gave me David Box's phone number. 
And so I said, I want to audition. So David calls me back. Uh, David passes on Tony. Tony calls me back. Tony really discouraged me from singing the singing audition thing. He didn't want to hurt my feelings because he was my he was my friend. He goes, No, I know what you sound like. He goes, We're kind of looking for like a a, a covered David Coverdale, kind of almost Joey Tempest, kind of bluesy singer or something like that. I said, dude, that's me. <laughs> He's like, and so I he let me, he said, just go into a studio, just record yourself singing, just a cappella, and send it to us. I was like, okay. And he told me later that that's what they were asking everybody to do. And I was the only one that did it. Everybody's like, what, well, just sing? Like, yeah. And no one would do it. Wow. And he said, so that, I, you know, that was just me being clueless. Like, okay, I didn't know you were supposed to be scared to do that. I wasn't. <laughs> so I overnighted it to him. And I remember checking the tracking like every day. And uh, he was so convinced it was going to be terrible. It hurt my feelings. He didn't want to pick it up. And finally, his wife said, the post office called and said, that if you don't pick this up today, they're going to send a return to sender. And he's called every day. You at least need the courtesy to go get it. Wow. So he went and got the tape and he listened to it. And he said he was going to a Packner Studios that day. He pulled off on the side of the road and said, he goes, I got the chill factor. He goes, this was the voice that we were looking for. And I never in a million years thought it would be you. And so I sent them me just singing acapella and the skeleton of the song I was writing at the time. And it ended up being Never Say Goodbye on the first Guardian record. Oh, yeah. That's what that's what I sent to him. Wow. And, uh, you know, two weeks later, I was in LA. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. But it was just so funny. They were just, he was just convinced that it was just going to be terrible and he's going to hurt my feelings. Do you still hold that against him? Like, <laughs> no, not one bit. <laughs> so, yeah. That's good. Yeah. You know, those, those guys, like I said, you know, even today, we don't, you know, we don't see each other all the time or everything. You know what I mean, but it's still like, we, you know, we're, we, we really are a family. Mm. It wasn't just, it was just a, a working band situation. Like, you know, I, I grew up with their families. They grew up with mine, you know what I mean? And stuff. So we're a really close group, close group of people. It's like, we can, we can bicker with one another, but somebody else bickers about us. They're going to get a knuckle sandwich. That's just how it is. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, man. That's how we are. I love that. Okay. So you, so you got into, into guardian, you guys worked with some really cool people in, Mm -hmm. in guardian. I mean, was it, was it uh, the Elefante we did the, uh, John and Dino Alfante signed the band to their their uh, label Packender Records uh, after getting uh, off Enigma record, and actually people don't know this is you know our records came out through Sony as well through Epic on the mainstream side because of a, a pass through deal we had with the distribution, but originally Fire and Love was supposed to up until like literally like three months before it came out was supposed to come out on A and M Records instead of Epic. Wow! And so it was kind of like wild, and uh, so we had a thing, but we worked with John and Dino, and like John just made me such a better singer. Like I learned so much from him, so much. And uh, he pushed me and basically on the fire and love record. I remember when, he, he, when I came into miracle mile, he's like, okay, that last record you're walking. Now you're running, you know, cause I'd had two years of touring experience yeah. and working with John, everything was good. But John is just, John is just such a talented, creative. I mean, he really, really got great performances out of me. And then after that, we ended up working with Steve Taylor on a few records, which was, you know, a treat in itself because I loved Steve and just personally, he just had such a different approach and it was what we needed at the time in, in 95. So to, like uh, to kind of transition when grunge had kind of taken over, um, he was very complimentary to us and stuff. And he really brought out strong points in Guardian that may have not been seen before. And for me personally, he, whereas the Elefantes kind of viewed me more as the singer, Steve tuned into my songwriting and viewed me more as the songwriter who happens to sing. Oh. And so he really pushed that's pushed me on the songwriting level and stuff. He would like when we present songs, he tend to like mine better. And I was like, that's really cool because I'm a bonehead three three chord rock guy. But and he would get that. Yeah. 
with Steve Taylor, you guys had a little more humor. And I don't know, I, I'm assuming that came from him to some some extent. Uh, well, a lot of it, because we did, we did give him a, a lot of lyrical license because that's one of his strengths. Steve had a great, great sense of humor and stuff. And lyrically, he'd pass that through. Like, like even on Bottle Rocket, like a song like, uh, Are We Feeling Comfortable Yet? That's a pretty serious, so, oh, that, you know. That's his that's, style, right? That's his that's like. A pretty, yeah, that's a pretty serious content my song, but there's humor through the whole thing. It's like there's almost everything's done with like a sly grin. And I love that about him. So, yeah, I was wondering how that was. Cause that's, uh, he, he seems like maybe a little chaotic, but also probably pretty artistically cool. What I, another thing I love about Steve, just is this is going to prop him as a human being. Okay. Usually when you get around people, you spend a lot of time with them. Like you'll hear them like eventually say something negative about somebody or like mock them or bag them. So like I've never heard Steve Taylor say a bad thing about any person on this planet ever. That's just the type of person he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I, I love that about him. That's cool. I always used to call him, I was, that was during the Puff Day days. So I said, Steve, you need to, we need to start calling you Puffy T. You need to come <laughs> in and start like mixing, like with a parka on all the time. Like, yeah. And so I always call him Puffy T. <laughs> That's awesome. So. I love that. Where, so where was, uh, what was it like for you? It sounds, you, you mentioned earlier that you were kind of growing during that period and that you're, you know, the, the, other members of guardian were kind of mentoring you and, and, and doing that. So what, um, what else, like what, where was God for you during all that, all that season? I'm sure I know that, like you said, you mentioned music change. I'm curious if that affected it at all. All I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this, and this is something I think a lot of people deal with in Christian music and they don't speak about it. And, and I, it's one of those things when you're going through it, you don't really see it, but after you pass it a while, you get it in a lot of ways. Christian music became my Christianity, you know, it's more so because, you know, you're just, you're just, you're, just, you know, you don't have any room to say the wrong thing. Yeah. You don't have the room, you know what I mean? You're, you're kind of expected to say the right thing all the time. And like you said earlier, kind of like that, be that leader that even if you're not prepared for it, there's this expectation that you're, you have some sort of spiritual insight that your audience doesn't have. And that's not true, man. <laughs> right. That's not true. I'm going to tell you, dude, there's, there's, there's been shows and stuff like that where the last place I wanted to be was up on that stage doing what I was doing. You know what I mean? I may may have argued with someone like my wife or something that day or something, something crazy. Things are not good. But, and I just really in hindsight, really kind of ashamed of that and stuff like that. I feel Mm. bad that, you know, I never allowed, you know, I, I put the mask on just enough to, you know, make sure everybody that felt comfortable when they listened to Guardian or they saw stuff like that, they came away feeling empowered. Like, you know, like I'm really encouraged not knowing that, you know, the, my heart was so far away from that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I went through that and I actually went through a period for a lot of years where I went back to like, okay, why do I believe what I believe? Now, here's, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I can't tell you why I believe. Other than in my heart, I know. Yeah. And I've kind of, and I've had to accept that and stuff like that. I just really believe that that's the still voice of God, the still small voice. I am here. Creation itself speaks of who I am. I believe that. I've been in a plane flying over Brazil looking around thinking, this isn't an accident. You know what I mean? But I went through a period and stuff like that where I really, you know, I wanted to know the origins of Christianity. I want to know why the, what the early church believed and all that stuff like that because I want to know why I believe what I believe. And I've come to the conclusion still this day that I don't have it all figured out, 
But I do know this. I know my need for a savior more than I did back then. You know, I don't feel like I'm doing God a favor by singing Christian music. You know what I mean? Because Christian artists can get in that mindset where, you know, they're just, you know, you're winning Dove Awards and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. You can start to feel pretty important, whether you you realize at the time. And I remember going to this K-Love event a few years ago. It was a radio seminar type thing where they were playing for radio and all these different artists were coming out there. And I felt bad because I realized all these guys come up and say what they want to say. I'm not sure they believe it, but they know that that's going to make sure that they get their next single on Christian radio. And there's that weird pressure. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, um, I could never have made a record like this is home within Christian music. I mean, it's, it's too honest. Right. A song like Jesus is away is how I felt, but there's no room for that in Christian music. So, but what's honest, what's funny is I believe that's, this is the most Christian record I've made in a long time. Wow. You know, it, it really is fun and it really does have, you have a lot of honesty in there. I do. Mm-hmm. I do love that. Um, interesting. Yeah. I think that's really, that's one of the things I was curious about. So I'm glad you, you brought that up. It just is such a strange, so it's a strange expectation to put on people. I think my, my passion is for uh spiritual maturity, right? Like what, what I want to see, uh, but you can't, is people grow into the image of Christ, right? To find themselves in Christ. Uh, so that they can, they can do it. And, but there's no, you know, that's hard for a, for a 20 something kid, right? To like, you're not there yet. You have to experience life. You need to suffer a little bit in order to, to get that. And And so, you know, and I did suffer a lot of it and and quite a bit, it was all my fault. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, but no, I, it's funny. My, my voice in speaking to people about the wonders and awesomeness of Christ to me is way more, informed than it was when I was young. I had, I had a lot of zeal, you know? Yeah. Like I said, like I said, I, to back up though, man, I'm not going to discredit all that because like I said, to this day, I still get people all yep. the time saying how God used it. So. Right. Which is the, that's the thing he does, right? Like, so even, even when, you know, it's, it's what we know and we kind of do what we know. And so I, I don't want to discount that at all. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it's good. I think the expectation sometimes that people put on <clears throat> artists or people to be spiritually mature when they're just people. I think this happens to pastors all the time too, right? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're just people. You know, it's funny. Two of my best friends in life have been, have both been pastors, including like currently and stuff like that. And I've always, my big thing with them and they, both of them have said unprompted. I love that you let me be who I am and not mm. the pastor all the time. Cause you know, I know they're not perfect. Right. I know that. And once you accept that, you know, if I see a little chink in the armor, okay, that's, that's, that's something that God covers. Right. You know? And and I, I think there should be a lot more of that. Yeah, I do too. So was that season for you? We often ask, I often ask the question about whether or not you've had a dark night of the soul or a time when you went through a spiritual <laughs> desert. Like, is, was that you season know, it for I, you? I don't know if you, Eric, you probably have, um, you know, I went through a, a divorce in 2015 and 2016. And I'm going to tell you my reaction to that was one was just you, you would have been disgusted if you would have probably spent an hour with me. <laughs> just it was, I was so bitter and everything. And, yeah. like and just, I just, I just wanted to embrace worldliness and everything I got, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was, I wasn't done with God, but I was like, you know, and this is a whole other podcast stuff. Like I had real issues with the church. 
yeah. and everything like that big time. And I remember audibly saying out loud, I'm never going to church again. I'm done. That's something I used to do. Not to say I'm mad at God. And this is like five years ago. Yeah. And, and that same week was when I met Pastor Jim at Journey Biker Church and I ended up being there and I haven't left. And so I really think wow. that was God's way of sending. I remember Jim said he met with me during the time a couple of times and he's one of my best friends on the planet now. He, I remember him telling me, he goes, I used to walk out of those restaurants, you know, after we'd have lunch thinking, that guy is so bitter. <laughs> he's so angry. And I was, but you know what? God sent him at that time. And like I said, you know, we, I just, I just, this last weekend led worship at the sixth anniversary of the church. The guy who says, I'm never going to church again, just led, you know, yeah. worship. Yeah. And uh, so I'd say I went through a really rough time and, and I, you know, Eric, I don't know how much I should get in this, but in my previous marriage, I church, my wife at the time was, was um, employed by a church. Ah. And I really felt like, you know, the pecking order was church, kids, me. And so I was really bitter towards that and stuff like that. And I, you know, I, so I blamed a lot of the stuff on the church and everything in hindsight. Now it wasn't the church. It wasn't the church's fault, you know, but at the time I would go through this, like I said, this is a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Let's say this, let, let me just say this. I'm going to put this in a nutshell from 2014 and 15. That was my dark time. Yeah. And I was extremely self-destructive. And as a result of that, I lost my marriage and but on the positive, God replaced it with something better than I ever dreamed. Because with what I have with Amber now, God, God, God gave me a, the beauty for ashes moment. I don't wish divorce on anyone. I really don't, especially mm. in my case when you know I'm largely largely responsible. But in my case, you know, God gave me a second shot here, and and it's it's good. So yeah, you sound like you're grateful for that. Yeah, I'm very um, grateful. God, God is God is good. I'm I'm, you know, long long past the idea of thinking that divorce is the ultimate sin. That's how we grew up, you know, right. But yeah. uh, it, cause it's never as comp as simple as that. Right. It's always, it's always far more complicated. I get well, that. Yeah, you know, like I said, my daughter was just in town and you know, my son's living with me now too here, my two oldest and stuff. And yesterday we were having a conversation about stuff and you know, how, you know, how the church impacted their lives growing up and everything. And, you know, and, and it's not, it's not, it's not a great experience. It's really not yeah. in a lot of ways. And uh, it was so funny. We were, we actually, this is the weirdest thing here. Yesterday, we're talking like some pretty heavy stuff and I'm laying on this couch right behind me and somehow my phone went to broadcast on Facebook Live. And, like <laughs> 10 minutes of our conversation oh, no. is a black screen, but people were listening to it. So we were talking about some pretty like intimate, heavy stuff that happened with the church and stuff. And wow. I was like, wow. So as I started, I look at my phone, I get all these texts. Hey, you're on Facebook Live. So I still don't know how it happened, but anyway, but it was funny. We were just talking about that yesterday, but it's so funny. People people you know view god if they've been hurt by the church they it's it's hard to get them to understand they haven't been hurt by god yeah you know what i mean yeah so that's my question how did you go in through all that where was god for you in it and then how did left. yeah he never left I, I i'm definitely the one that moved and i was angry and almost angry like because god kept showing up and like oh. god why don't you just leave me alone you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Give me an example of that. Like how did God keep well, showing up? You know, just like, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, go out and stuff. And like, I was separated and like going on dates with women and stuff like that and everything like that. And just, you know, just being reminded of God's presence <laughs> and everything, seeing, seeing Christian friends and stuff like that. Like, you know, like, what are you doing? 
you're not even legally divorced. You know what I mean? Stuff like uh-huh. that. It's just like, you know, I, you know, leave me alone and stuff like that. God just calling in my heart, knowing that, okay, what you're doing is wrong and you know it. Yeah. You know? How did that resolve? How did, how did he, it was so, maybe, and maybe it was just over time, but I don't know if there's it, an event. It was, it was over time a lot and stuff, but, uh, you know, like I said, meeting with, meeting Pastor Jim, mm. back plugged in that church was really great. Yeah. That was, that was, that was, that was the main thing. Like I said, that, that's like, okay, that church prayed for me and loved me through it. Didn't, didn't tolerate anything, but also encouraging. You can do better. This is not who God made you to be. Yeah. And everything. And, you know, and God was faithful. What a gift to have a church that's willing to go with you through the mud, right? Dude, for real. For yeah. Real. Wow. I love that. That's I always, I always say, I always say our church is, is great for people who don't like church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and the irony of that is that you're probably being the church. No, it's more, it's, right. Even it has, it has nothing to do with me, man. If I was out of that place and stuff like that, that, that place would just still be just thriving because the heart is there. Yeah. yeah. The pastor is, you know, the pastor knows grace, man. He's been touched. You know, he's, he's failed God and God's restored him. And, and he, he, he knows, he knows what it's like to walk with the lamp. You know what I mean? Yeah. And know that God's going to carry him through. So. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I think those are so important. So I always say that, uh, that on our here, when I was growing up, the testimony was always, my life was terrible. Then I met Jesus and now my life is great. Uh, and except for all the stuff that happens afterwards. Right. Yeah. So uh, we like to talk about that. Well, let's put it this way. My life was okay. I met God. It was really good. And I decided to put myself in the, on the throne for a while, self-sabotage, <laughs> lowest point in life, and God pulled me out of it. Yeah. Well, see, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. He is good in that way. What? Um, so then you've, you've been recording, you've been doing doing a little bit of that. I heard you say, I think earlier you said you're not going to make your, your uh, living through music anymore, which yeah. is kind of hard to do these days, I think. Yeah, but. it really is, man. Gosh, you know, I, you know, I said I work for True Tone. We have a lot of, you know, musicians and stuff that, you know, that are touring. That's their livelihood. And just, you know, just seeing them be devastated right now because they can't, they can't earn a living. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the guys I know, I won't mention his name and stuff like that, but privacy, but he plays for a really prominent country artist. That, and he's been with her for like 13 years. He just yesterday announced, okay, I'm going into real estate. Wow. So it's because, because there are no music gigs. Yeah. And, and he's got to make a living and stuff. So it's really tough for musicians right now. Uh, in my case, you know, in COVID, and so to be honest, you know, I, I haven't, you know, I'm glad I crowdfunded This Is Home mm. because the subsequent sales and stuff like that, I've not received a dime. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, you know, I, I got a royalty on the first patch of the new vinyls. I haven't paid for any CD sales or anything like that. So it's like, if I were to count on that, I would really be hurting right now. Yeah. You know, it's just the COVID has messed up the whole chain of everything, even how artists get paid. So I, I uh, you know, and, and it's good. And that's the case. I can't, you know, I have, I have a family. I, have, I mean, this is my house with my wilted flowers back there. Amber's <laughs> going to kill me. If she knows that <laughs> you saw that, but um, like I said, we've, our house has been custom decorated by our grandson last week. So oh, it's due for a that's great. <laughs> overhaul, but um, no, it's just, Things, things are just really, it'd be really difficult for me, especially at 50 years old now to decide I'm going to make a full-time living in music. Yeah. It's just the, 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 the situation has changed. The, the income streams that you could count on back then aren't, aren't, you know, publishing and things like that aren't as largely available as they were. Yeah. Even a band like Guardian, like the deal we got in 1995 would almost be unheard of in this, in this climate. Really? In what way? Yeah. 
uh, monetarily. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean? the cash. Yeah. So I, you know, I, enough times passed. Like we, 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 we re-signed our deal in 1995 for like 150 grand. Okay. And, and, that, and that was just like an advance, you know what I mean? So I've got, so in, for a, for a band at that level, it's, you know, song, I mean, and we were selling 75 to, you know, anywhere from 75,000 to 200,000 records. Now you got people selling like 15,000 records. Yeah. You know, in the mainstream. Right. You know? So it's, you know, if you're a Drake artist or like a pop artist like that, The weekend, you're doing great. Streaming's taking care of you and generating you killer income. The meat and potatoes rock bands aren't so fortunate because nine-year-old, nine-year-old girls don't put their songs on repeat and listen to them over and over and over on Spotify. Right. You know, so they, they don't get that income stream. Right. Yeah, that is definitely true. It's it's just changed so much. And I don't know, I'm not sure where that goes forward. I keep wondering who's going to pop out as a um music live not not streaming but like live stream like how do i how do musicians do a concert live stream people are doing like facebook live or something but mm-hmm. i think there's going to be somebody that's going to show up and go hey we're the we're the music live stream place and you can do it you know you, you can sell tickets or whatever yeah um somebody's got to show up and do that because you know what i think it's probably it's probably already there it's just a matter of just i think ultimately though people still just want the live experience true they, they'll settle for an online thing if that's all they can get, but that's not what they want there. It depends on who it is. So there are bands that I would do that for. Right. So no, no, I get, I get it too. I'm just saying by and large, but like I say, if like Amber and I, one of our favorite things to do is we have this like little outdoor amphitheater in Nashville called the Sin Amphitheater. Uh We buy lawn seats and go see concerts. Also that's what we do. Yeah. And And I see a lot of people who are just passive music fans. Right. You know what I mean? Those people aren't going to invest in an online show. That's you know? true. That's but they'll true. come socially hang out with their friends and have a great time and support the artists, you know? Oh so, yeah. Yeah. yeah this is, this is the, I mean, this is the first summer in many years I've not seen a concert. Yeah. The last, the last show we went to Amber and I saw a Trans-Siberian orchestra in December. That was the last show we saw. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, okay. So, well, that's interesting. Where, where are you headed? Like, what do you think, what do you see the next uh, season for you? I don't know where I'm headed. I really don't. <laughs> so that, that's, that's what the cool thing is. I can tell you this, man. And I say this all the time, and I really mean this. Like for me, life is better than ever. It really is. Um, you know, like I said, I get to be a dad to my kids now. They're you know, other than Bella, who's just turned you know, to actually she'll be eleven next week. She's ten years old. Um, my other daughter is twenty. She's in college. Caitlin, who just left, is twenty three and a mom. You know I me. Mean? And yeah. Christian is twenty five. My son. Just getting to be a dad, just watching them live their lives is good. Uh, being being here for Amber, like I said, Amber is just, my wife is just, there's no one else in the world I want to hang out with. Like, mm. like, I mean, even to the point where like probably some of my friends are like wondering, why do you call her anymore? <laughs> I love to spend every moment with Amber. I really do. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm in church and I've been, like I said, I don't feel called to be a worship leader, but the thing is I've been the fill-in worship leader now for, you know, going on four years. You know what I mean? So, and so, so it, it is what it is. And, so I, and I, I struggle with that sometimes. I feel like I need to almost like put a hard thing down the ground. Like, okay, you need to find somebody because somebody who's calling this is needs to be here. But at the same time, God's using me. So it doesn't yeah. hurt me to sing. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sing a praise no matter what. So um, I love, like I said, and a new thing, and I think you may have just picked up on this is, you know, I do photography now. Oh, and, sure. uh, I have an Instagram account, Jamie Real Creative. It's full focused solely on photography. And I love portrait photography. Like that's, that's a new passion for me. So I would like to, uh, I'd actually like to like get to where that's like not only an income stream, 
but just something I'm kind of like really good at. That's something I want to get good at, you know? Yeah. But in the short term, man, like looking forward, I'm not going to give a 10 year plan because I don't know what 10 years is going to be, especially yeah. right now. You know, I don't know if I'm going to wear, you know, if we're going to have a full on like spacesuit apparatus to breathe in 12 months. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, but I can tell you this um, one step at a time, but God has really given me a great scenario that it would be a shame if I messed it up. Yeah. You know I mean, so I'm hoping large and largely that any kind of self-sabotage tendencies will be going away because God has really given me a gift of a great life right now. And I need to embrace it. And I am, you know, and, and the wisdom of, you know, I hate that I went through all that stuff, mm. but I love that I can feel the sting if they start to veer that way, you know? Yeah. You can recognize it. Right. And you can go, okay, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. uh, that's what that is. But one thing I can tell you more resolute than everything and stuff, I do believe that Jesus is the only way. I really do. More than ever, I, I believe that uh, there is no hope outside of him. And these all sound like like bumper sticker things, but these are these are firm truths Yeah. that I believe in what I've, I mean, you know, I've went in, okay, prove me wrong. And I can't, you know. I, I, those are, those are resolute things. I truly believe within my heart. I believe that if I were to keel over right now, if this microphone here would shock me and say, I'm going to be in the presence of God, I'm going to answer to him. And I really think, I, I really believe that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the voice of experience. I think, Jimmy, I've loved having this conversation. Thanks so much for doing it. Friends. Sorry, it took so long. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's good. I, I'm willing to be patient and it was worth the wait. Friends, you can find um, This Is Home and you can find all of Jamie's music at Definitely Guardian as well um, at, uh, you know, wherever you get music, Spotify or wherever I've got you can links stream on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. You can get streaming on YouTube. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure that helps, but, uh, it really is fun. It is, is really good. I found myself singing songs like this is home or kissing on you. And yeah. uh, just, uh, just, I'm like, where did that, Oh, that's, that's Jamie Rose thing. That's cool. I love that. Yeah. Song. So mostly, mostly written right here at this table. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I, I wrote kissing on you at this table and I wrote uh, better off than yesterday. And this side of oh, eternity yeah. off that record, I wrote the table and you can't see it around right the couch right here is where I wrote this is home. Oh, that's so awesome. And, and, and when I wrote all these songs, they weren't like I'm writing for a record. I'm just writing songs. You can, no one ever hear them. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you do that once in a while. It seems like you, you, put together something that uh you know the crowdfunding has been a pretty is that is that a good gift that's that's the only way that record could have been made yeah and, you know and i do i do feel like it's funny with and then this heartbreaks a lot of people but like with guardian or anything else i've been involved in i feel like i've kind of said all i need to say like i don't feel the desire i want to make a new guardian record I yeah don't, i don't feel i really don't feel i do feel like i've got some more things to say as a solo artist so I do hope that I'm allowed to make one more record at least. Yeah. And stuff. But, but I'm telling you right now, if it, if it, without crowdfunding, I can't do it because the, the money is just not there these days in music to, you know, I, I tell Amber, okay, Hey, we can either miss house payments or we can make a record. Right. Right. Yeah. You've got a, it definitely takes, uh, it takes more than I think most people are aware of. And but hey, that's what that's what's great about the internet is you can you can do crowdfunding and you can get get people. You've got a fan base, obviously. You well, you no, funded this in the last days. Time around, I really didn't expect people to to. I I literally and I say this humbly, I wasn't sure if people would even want to be on board, and so the fact that it got funded in eleven days, yeah, was like mind blowing to me and stuff. But you know, it, it's still it's I still 
and knowing how, you know, especially right now when people are in some industries are really having trouble paying their bills, I would feel really weird about, hey, I know you can't, you know, you're struggling to pay your electricity bill. Sure. Hey, I have a record coming out, you know, so it's I got to weigh that too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I think that's good. I don't know if I saw this one, but I definitely supported the last Guardian one. I, I love that. So yeah, I was. Um, you know, it's funny. It's still. I, I thought I've done a pretty good job, like letting people know it's out. I still get people every day has no idea that this is homes out. Yeah, I know. It's always it's funny. Yeah. Well, that's one reason I wanted to have you on to just make well, sure people that, know. I have a buddy who uh, we his name's Ben. He's a pastor in Houston, and he right he uh, he and I used to just jam to to fire and love and miracle mile all the time. I'll, I'll never forget him showing me. I think he probably showed me fire and love. And that was after I had been to sunshine. I was like, Oh, I know these guys. Oh, like uh, I, yeah. I know who that is. And that, that was uh pretty cool. It's, so it's funny. Miracle mile was our biggest selling record. Fire and love is my favorite. Yeah. Fire and love, fire and love and buzz are my two favorites. Yeah. Uh, and actually one of my top five songs is the title track from almost home off the last Guardian record we made. That particular song yeah. is one of my all-time favorites for the band. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, I loved Miracle Mile. That was like, uh, or, or the or that whole that whole CD. But um, it was so it was so good, and uh, we definitely you know, wore that thing out. And but you you just had such a great range, right? Like I I didn't I wanted to say that to you. Like you you're so good at being like the gravelly rocky guy, and then also the it's funny. My natural tendency is to sing like gravelly raspy. That's natural. And it, the thing is, it's people think it's in a throat and it's actually up here. Like when I was singing, they're like, well, I've been walking. that's all up here. It sounds like it's all like throaty. It's yeah. not. You know, so, oh, interesting. Funny. So, and, and it, you know, and I, I realize this stuff. That's, um, that's kind of what sets me apart from other people. You know what I mean? That's, that's my uniqueness that God put there. Cause it's not my styling. I didn't develop it. It just happens. So, um, if I do make another record, I loved, you know, adding the country music influence this last record. Yeah. And it'll still be there because that's just what I like. But I will probably bring in a little bit more of a classic rock vibe and stuff to the, anything future going because that part of me is just such a prominent part. And, uh, this, you know, like I said, I don't write with agenda and stuff. The songs I've been writing lately, a little bit, little bit more rock yeah. and roll than country. Yep. Yep. Well, that's all right. We, we like it anyway. We, we, we love it, but we, I love that sort of, uh, that, uh, that rock and roll melodic rock. That's my style. So Jimmy, it has been really fun to have you here. Thank you so much for doing it. Friends go to wherever you get your music and download or listen to this is home. Check out all of Jamie's stuff. Your website is jamierow.com. It is. I have linked to that and all the other things we talked about, like your Instagram, at halfway there podcast.com friends or Jamie, is there anything you want to leave us with? No, man. I think we've said it all. That's like, I'm, I'm Jamie Rowe. I'm a 50 year old guy who was in a great hair band for Christian music. And I have a great life with my wife, Amber, and I live in Columbia, Tennessee. And uh, I drink a lot of diet Coke, which means that probably half this part of my skull is like some big tumor, <laughs> but uh, so far so good. So. Thanks brother. <laughs> I appreciate it. 